feel like a termite and a yo-yo. I was listening to this music, and I thought, well, I'm going to change my sermon and preach on the glory of God. And then now we're talking about he is Lord, so I'll just stay where I was. Look in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, probably the most familiar passage in the book of Romans, Romans 12, 1 and 2. As we think this morning about a, a call to be sold out, all in, surrendering all. Uh, Mark 12 uh, it marks a turning point in the book of Romans, not Mark 12. Romans 12 marks a turning point in the book of Romans. The first 11 chapters, we've been dealing with how we can come before God and how we ought to honor God and what we ought to think about God and how God is. When you hit chapter 12, suddenly, instead of just focusing on what we're to believe about God, <clears throat> these next few chapters are going to focus on how we ought to live for what we believe about God. You see, the bottom line is this. Uh, you, you really are going to live what you believe. The rest of it's all just cheap talk. And we're, we're going to, I mean, this is going to be good. It's just going to be good. Some of you are going to get antsy, but I'm just telling you, hold on to the end. Uh, we, we, we come up to accept the Lord Jesus Christ in a life of faith. He provides the mercy and grace, and we provide the faith. He actually provides that too, but, but we by faith accept him. But here, following, we're going to change from a life coming by faith to a life coming by service. Now, I want to, want to just put a little disclaimer in here immediately. I am not saying this morning that uh, we owe it to God is why we ought to serve God. Don't misunderstand me. We're going to talk about the mercies of God and all God's done for us, but that does not mean we owe it to God. That's not what the Scripture is teaching. What the Scripture is teaching is because of the mercies of God, we ought to be thrilled to serve him. We ought to be thrilled to praise him. <laughs> Read with me. Stand, if you would, please, in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word. Two verses. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable. And let me just go ahead and throw it in here. Some of your translations probably have the word logical. That is really right on target with it. What is that good and logical, perfect will of God? Father, thank you this morning how we've been blessed. And uh, just ask you to let your spirit continue to deal with each one of us. Don't let one of us get out of here without hearing from you. Lord, I, I don't want them to hear me. I don't want them to... To, to think about the music. I want them to think about the glory of God and all you've done for us. And then, Lord, may we in turn just bow our head and say, Lord, I, the logical thing for me to do is to surrender all. It's just a plain surrender all. Let it be done, Lord Jesus. We claim victory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There's a principle here also in the, in the uh, book of Romans and that is this, that it's no doctrine of the Bible that is ever given apart from uh, following up with an application. 
Some people say, well, because I'm going to tell you, if you're just learning the Bible to become intelligent, you're an intelligent, the kids aren't in here, are they? <laughs> you're, you're, you're not very intelligent. I see some down here now. Uh, you're not very intelligent. The Bible was never given to us just to make us smarter. Everything we learn from God, we ought to put it into practice to how to further the kingdom of God. That's what this life's all about. So we're not given to blow up our pride or anything. We're given so that we can serve the Lord in a better manner. There's a call to sacrifice here. The introductory word, of course, is therefore. This is the fourth time we've had a therefore in the book of Romans. The first one we had was in Romans 3, 20, the therefore of condemnation that declared every one of us are sinners. Not a one of us in this place that has not sinned. So we're all on equal ground. In Romans 5, 1, there's the therefore of justification. Because we have confessed our sins, meaning that we have agreed with God what our sins are, he has justified us. I don't know if that means anything to you, but I want to tell you, that means that I don't have to stand in my righteousness before God. I stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He has justified us. And I want to tell you, he's in the process of sanctifying us. And one of these days, he's going to glorify us when he comes back here again for us. So that's, that, there's a therefore. Then Romans 8, 1, because of the mercies of God, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And then Romans 12, 1, as we have here, the therefore of dedication. Dedication. Old Testament worship presumed a sacrifice from the early pages of Genesis throughout all the law and the prophets. When men came to God, they came on the basis of a sacrifice. And uh, I want you to note here, though, this is an urgent call. Paul could have given a command. He had apostolic authority. He could have literally said, you do this. I'm commanding you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. But he doesn't do that here. He says, I beseech you. I beg you, I plead with you, I ask you in earnesty that you would present your bodies a living sacrifice unto the Lord. So it's urgent here. Now the reason that we see it's urgent, <laughs> because the Lord is not just concerned with what you do. Now he is concerned with what you do. Listen to me. He's not just concerned with what you do. He's also concerned with the attitude that you do it. And I want to tell you, the truth is, I'll just be shooting straight with you. If you up here serving the Lord, you're riding one of these buses and you're halfway mad before you get on the thing, best thing you can do is go on home. Because I want to tell you, what, what you do is not as important really as how you do it. It's your attitude. Boy, I will tell you. Just, I, hey, all I got to do is look on Facebook a little bit. I, I knows, I'm nosy. I just see some of your comments. You need a stinking attitude adjustment. That's what you need. I, number one, I can't believe some of the junk you put on there. But if you do put it on, God help you. I don't know what you're thinking about. I don't know. God's interested in your attitude. You sit up here poised and prideful and I'm going to do this. I better go on. I'm going to get in trouble. It's, it's urgent here. He's the God who judges the heart as well as the outward circumstance. Now, see, none of us in here can do that. We look at you riding the bus, and we say, isn't that wonderful? He just loves the Lord. And the Lord say, no, it's not wonderful. He's mad every time he gets on the bus. Mm. 
It's urgent. Not only is it urgent, look, look at the basis of the call. The mercies of God moves back to the verse 32 of, of chapter 11. God has shut up all in disobedience that he might show mercy to the elect. Oh, no, that's not what that says. He might show mercy to all. To all. Every one of us. <laughs> the mercies of God are available to every person in this worship center today. To show us all. Now the phrase translated, as I mentioned before, reasonable service, it comes from a, a, a root word which we got our word logical from. It's our logical service. Let me, let me tell you, the only logical thing to do is to serve the Lord. I mean, when you look back, based on, remember the therefore is there because it's looking back. When you look back at the mercies of God for what he's done for us, the only sensible, logical, halfway sane thing for you to do is to serve the Lord. I mean, it's just logical. You talk about his forgiveness. Hmm. Did, did you understand Jesus forgives you past, present, and future sins? We're sitting in an auditorium where there are people I couldn't count on hands and toes who have said they did me wrong. I will not forgive them. I will not forget about it. I will not move on. I'm going to harbor the hatred. I'm going to harbor the strife in my heart. But bless God, you don't do that with Jesus. When you confess it, he, he moves on. And then the righteous standing. <laughs> I know there are a couple of you think you're righteous, but I want to tell you, you're not. And the only righteousness we've got is we're able to stand before Jesus and stand before the King of Kings and say, my righteousness is in you, Lord. That's why we glorify the Lord. Adoption. You understand He's adopted you in the family of God. There's a couple of years back, we had a family, and we've got several families here that adopt children, and they go through that stage where, you know, my real mom and daddy, I don't know if they love me, I don't know what, and I was dealing with one of these, and, and I said, look, don't, don't, don't focus on what your real mom and dad did. It, it very well may be that she was close enough to God to say, look, uh, I know I can't take care of this child. And so I'm going to give it up and pray God gets it in a good family. I said, what you need to do is, is look at the fact that a family loved you enough to adopt you. They didn't have to do that. Hey, Jesus didn't have to die on the cross. He, he wasn't obligated to do that. He chose to do that. And he adopted us into the family of God. And we have eternal life. And we have heirship of the kingdom. And we're promised all these rewards. When Paul tells us to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, he's basing it on what Jesus has already done for us. Now let me just ask you. Based on the fact of the virgin birth, based on the fact that he left heaven and all of his glory to come down here and be born in a manger, to be mocked, to be spat upon, to be whipped, to have a mock trial, to be lied about, to have a spear thrust in his side, a crown of thorns on his head, and literally being crucified on a cross? Do you think that it's logical that we give him our spare time? I mean, is that logical? I'm going to give you my spare time, Lord. Based on all you've done for me, I'm going to give you my spare time. You think that's logical? 
You think it's logical for us to say, Lord, I know what you're teaching about giving and all that, but I want to tell you, uh, based on what you've done for me, Lord, I'm just going to give you my spare change. Is that logical? I mean, it don't even make any sense to give God our leftovers when all he's done for us. That's not logical. It's not reasonable. It does not make sense. It's also an immediate call. The, the action of presentation here is in the aortist tense. There's two tenses in the Greek. And the command to the present tense emphasizes the continuing nature of the action. Otherwise, I, I want you to present yourself in a point in time. And it continues to go on and on. The action is similar to that which is used when a person comes to the temple with a sacrifice and he offers that sacrifice in a point of time. It points to a definite time when such a sacrifice is made. I want to tell you the question this morning is, have you decided to follow Jesus? Have you really decided to follow Jesus? Because I want to tell you now, you, 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 the TV evangelists may be able to do it, but a man who's going to stand in a pulpit and preach the inerrant word of God cannot separate salvation from lordship. Now, you can do it other places if you want to, but I'm just telling you, if he's Lord, he's Savior. If he's Savior, he's Lord. If he's not Lord, he's not Savior. If he's not Savior, he's not Lord. It's immediate. And then it's sacrificial. The concept of sacrificing was embedded in the Old Testament and the New Testament both. You had to take a lamb and, and you slit the throat and then you cut that lamb up and, and place it on the altar. Now, I don't know if you've got the difference yet or not, but he's not asking us to put a dead sacrifice up here. He said, I want you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Oh, that's altogether different. You know what the problem is with a living sacrifice? We can crawl off the altar. We, we can be here this morning and say, man, God led me to do this. And before we get out of Luby's at 2 o'clock, we done changed our mind. See, a living sacrifice, there's only two of them in the Bible recorded. One is in Genesis when Abraham, and I guarantee you he didn't tell Sarah what he was going to do, but God told him to take Isaac, his only son, and take him up to the top of the mount, and there he would offer him as a sacrifice. And Abraham followed God's directions. Now you say, well, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is that we look at Isaac like he's a little child or maybe seven or eight years old like Landon was up here. Isaac's 25, to maybe 18 to 25 years old. He could have whipped that old man anytime he wanted to. He goes, when he said, hey, Daddy, I see the wood and I see all the, the preparations, but where, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, God is a sacrifice. He'll provide. He'll provide. And as they went up, and I would just caution you, boy, when I read this scripture, I think, oh, how many times has God told me to do something? I didn't want to do it. So I just got mad at God, said, I'm not going to do it, not going to do it. See, when you do that, 
it breaks the fellowship between us and God. I'm so glad Abraham didn't do that. You say, how do you know he didn't do it? Because he was still hearing from God. If he'd have done broke fellowship with God and he had that arm raised to bring down and kill his only son, he never would have heard from God. Mm. Living sacrifice. And then the other living sacrifice is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, if it had not been for him, we wouldn't be meeting in this building today. We'd have some shed put up somewhere so that we could split uh, slit throats of animals and let the blood flow down, and we'd be—you wouldn't be sitting up in here in a three-piece suit. But because of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, <laughs> we don't have to bring a lamb anymore. We've got the perfect spotless lamb. Then it's a holy sacrifice. It describes holiness as that which has been set apart for a special purpose. In the Old Testament, God's people were called to be different. They were to dress differently. They were to eat differently. They were to order their lives differently. Every part, when you study the Old Testament history, their lives were separated from the world. God set us apart, folks. Now, I'm not going to tell you where the, I don't know, where the line is to be drawn. I don't know. If it was me, I'd draw the line on them big old britches that hang down halfway to your knees. That's where I'd draw the line. But it's not me. God may say, hey, I like those big britches. I don't know. Nothing in the Word of God about it. You can do whatever you want to do. It's a preference. It's just not one of my favorite ones. I don't know. But I do know this. That God has said he has set us apart. We're a chosen generation. And why are we chosen? To show forth the glory of God. That's why we're chosen. So if, if you can dress up and look like you're going to a queen dance and that glorify God, get with it. But it may be that every one of us need to kind of look at our lives and say, look, I want to make sure I'm glorifying God. I don't want Jesus to be ashamed of me. It's a holy sacrifice, a living sacrifice, and it is acceptable. Literally well-pleasing to the Lord. It's, it's an essential ingredient. It's, it's not enough to just give to God. Cain did that. He gave. I guarantee you, he gave out of the best he had. But God said, that's not what I want. And he turned it down. Abel's sacrifice was accepted. Cain's offering was unacceptable. You see, all sacrifices are not acceptable to God. They're not. He's he not worried about your membership in a church. <laughs> he's not worried. I wish I didn't have to say this because I'm worried about your money you give, but he's not worried about your money you give. I mean, we're trying to build a new building. I, I'm just telling you, I know within my heart the money to build that building debt-free sitting right here in this auditorium. And the biggest problem we got is most of it's still going to be sitting here next week rather than giving to do it. But anyway, I won't charge you for that. 
There's a call also here to transformation. Let me hurry. He said, do not be conformed. Be not conformed to this world. Well, then what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God. Hmm. In verse 1, Paul is calling for a presentation of our bodies as a living sacrifice. In verse 2, he calls for a renewing of our mind. Renewing of our mind. Negatively, we can say, don't be conformed to this world. Positively, we can say, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what he's saying. Now, it's a warning here against conformity. Be not conformed. It's a present passive imperative and really what it's saying is stop being conformed. You, you how am I going to say this now without hacking y'all off? Some of you. You've got an opportunity to vote Tuesday. And I'm not dare to tell you who to vote for. I'm just going to ask you and remind you of this, that according to what I read here in this book, we're going to give an account for our actions. And if you can figure out how you can vote for somebody that wants to murder babies and stand before God and how you're going to answer him, you help yourself. Now, I don't find anything in this book. I don't give a rip about it, the economy. You say, well, preacher, that's what we're worried about. Well, if you'd get your mind on Jesus, you wouldn't be. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then he said, all these other things will be added to you. Maybe not everything, but I'm telling you, our world has come to a place. No, let me back up. Our church has come to a place where it's me, my, I'm going to take care of myself. That's not from God. The world wants to conform us to their own standards, to make us like a cog in their own wheel. That's what peer pressure is all about. Guys, be careful with peer pressure. I better skip that. I'm going to get in trouble. The goal of transformation. <laughs> he said, be transformed. It's in the present passive imperative tense. We get our Greek word. Uh, the Greek word is where we get our word metamorphosis from. It describes a complete change of form. We sing an old song, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought. When? Since Jesus came into my heart. We wonder why lives are not changed. Maybe Jesus is not in the heart. And then the nature of it is, is accomplished by the renewing of our mind. You see, God works from the inside out. We don't do that. We don't even do that here at church. We, we, first thing we want to do is make the outside look good so people say, ooh, let's go there. And then we'll work on the inside. God's not like that. God starts on the inside. <laughs> and then he works out. That, that's why legalism doesn't work. I've been looking at legalism for 65 years. The Bible in legalism says you make lots of rules and that's going to make you better. 
No, it's just going to make you miserable. What you need is Jesus on the inside. There's not a one of you fishermen here. I hope you're here this morning. Nobody but the deer hunters are out. Fishermen ought to be here. You can get shot in a boat if you're out there in the woods. Not a good time. But I've never known a fisherman that dove off of his boat and caught the fish down there and cleaned it and then said, come on, let's put it in the boat. What a blessing that is. Now, that's why I'm telling you, if you're here this morning without Jesus Christ, I don't care where you are. God doesn't care where you are. I'm telling you where you are right now, Jesus can meet you and your life can be changed. And old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. The result of it? (laughs) You're going to discover the will of God. A lot of people have a hang-up about the will of God. It's almost like an Easter egg hunt. Uh, you know, you get that Easter egg hunt, and you're out there. Some of y'all have to think back a little bit, but when you hit those eggs, some of us are at the point where we can hide our eggs and then go find them. We don't remember where we hit them. <laughs> but usually when we have a big Easter egg hunt or something here, we got a prize egg. Boy, we would look all over for that prize egg. <clears throat> and the worst sound in the world was to hear somebody say, I found it! just blows your whole works and life up and that's kind of the way we treat the will of God preacher can you help me show what the will of God is maybe God hid it over here can you help me and when we find the will of God whoo I found it no I don't think God's necessarily interested in you finding the will of God as he is in you doing God's will by demonstrating it See, I can tell you a couple of things It's God's will. I don't even have to pray about it. It's God's will that you be a witness and a soul winner. That's the will of God. I don't care who you are. I don't care. That's what the Word of God says. That's the perfect will of God, that you be leading people to Jesus. I'm afraid that our churches many times have become so entertaining and so seeker-sensitive, and we're afraid to to really speak the word of God because we want to be politically correct, I want to tell you there's a whole lot in this book that's not politically correct. A whole lot. Let me get ready to close (laughs) with this one principle. If you forget everything else, that's okay. Just don't forget this. What you do always demonstrates what you are. What you do demonstrates what you are. You say, well, no, I won't tell you. The legalist would demonstrate his legalism, and the Christian will demonstrate Christ. There was a pastor, well, actually an evangelist, Wilbur Chapman of many years ago, and he did a conference with William Booth, who founded the Salvation Army, a tremendous man of God, And he asked him, he said, General Booth, God's used you in a great, great way. What's the secret of God using you? If you ever seen pictures of of, uh, William Booth, he had kind of long hair always kind of in his eyes. and, and, And old Chapman said he rubbed that hair back out of his eyes. And he said this, 
God has had all there was of William Booth. God has had all there was of William Booth. And he goes on to say this, there have been men of greater brains, greater opportunities than I have. But from the day that I had a vision of what God could do with poor old London, I made up my mind that God would have all there was of William Booth. Boy, when I read that, I had to ask myself, God, do you really have all of Charles Hunt? Now, some of y'all are sitting there saying, oh, mm-hmm. let me just knock the air out of you. It's none of your business what God has of Charles Hunt. The question is, what does God have of you? That's the important thing. What about you? For you who have not been saved, I want to tell you, you can't give God anything until, first of all, you give him your life. He died on Calvary for your sins, the sins of the whole world. He's calling you. He wants you to be saved. It's not his will any perish, but all come to life. He wants you to be saved. The first thing you can do to serve the Lord is not to go sign up for another committee or another project. The first thing you can do is say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sin. Maybe this morning, though, you know good and well you're saved. Man, God's been kind of dumping on you a little bit because you've been giving him leftovers and spare change. And I, I remember... Very well. I don't remember a lot of things at all. My goodness. But I do remember very well when we started praying about building this building. We didn't have but about 275 people. There wasn't any way in the possibility that we needed a building like this. No way. No, per- no way. It would not be logical. And, and actually, the first plans called for all that balcony up there to be completely closed off and then it kept over and over again we could build it cheaper then than now so we thought well we'll just build a balcony and put the ropes up not 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 let anybody go up there we didn't have the money we secured a loan and that's how we built this building and we're still paying on that loan we didn't have the money and now you listen to me We're going to go and see about getting a construction loan in case we run out of money. But I want to tell you right now, it'll be a crying shame if this church don't pay for that children's nursery building cash. You've already raised almost a million dollars. And by the time we get it finished in 2025, (laughs) no, (laughs) 2019 is the year we move in. I'm just saying, when you look at what God's doing in this place, the families that God has saved and put back together, when you look at the the, the people that God has touched spiritually, physically, emotionally, when you look at the mercies of God, can, can you honestly say the logical thing for me to do is put $20 in the building for eternity? And then 
Let's end on a good note. Maybe God's saying, I want you to be a part of this church. <laughs> now, if you come be a part, first thing we're going to do this month is try to tie you into building for eternity. We want you, and you're important than, more, more important than anything. But money does count to make the world go round. I'm just joking. Somewhat. <laughs> Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? Have you experienced the mercies of God? Have you come to a place in your life, the old song says, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd Listen, I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Have you come to that place in your life? I'm asking you this morning to be the very first person that steps out. We have, during this invitation time, I'll be honest with you, the invitation time is the most important part of this service. I've told you this many times before. I'm going to ask you, please don't get up, move around. Don't get up and get your purse ready and all that. We have announcements after the invitation. If you don't want to know what's going on, you can get your purse ready and get out of here before anybody else. But this invitation, you say, preacher, what's so important about the invitation? Well, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like the building's on fire and you're on the third floor. And we get a ladder up to, there to you. And uh, you say, can I come out? No, we're not going to have any invitation or anything. You've got to stay where you are. Uh, we just want you to know you, you, you're fixing to die. The building's on fire. I've already shown you this morning that if you leave this building without Jesus Christ, your destiny is not good. So why would I want to preach and then let you walk out of here lost the same way you came in? Maybe you need a church home. This is it. I'm telling you, this is it. Whatever you need to do, we're going to pray. Our instruments are going to be here, and Brother Aaron's going to lead us, and we're going to ask God to do something special in this time right now. Father, thank you in Jesus' name for what you have done, the mercies that you have already given us. Lord, the truth is, if you never do anything else for us, you've already given us far, far more than what we deserve. So Lord, I ask you this morning, let your Holy Spirit deal with each one of us. None of us are exempt. Not, not the preacher, not, not his wife, not the youngest member of this church. Lord, we're not exempt from what you're wanting to do today. So speak to our hearts. And we're going to trust you. Lord, this is your church. This is your day. We're your people. We're asking you to make yourself known in this place today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand together as we begin to sing? You come.